0: Welcome to the Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean.
1: One of the first things I learned in my first Lean class was about the importance of pleasing the end customer. Sumitra Vig is a retail banker, master trainer, she has an MBA and she's ASQ certified and she's held various banking positions in India, the Middle East, Central and Eastern Europe. Sumitra says that delivering customer satisfaction through awakening employee potential is her And she has a powerful message about customer satisfaction to share with us.
0: Welcome to the Edges of Lean.
1: Thank you,
2: Bella, for having me on your show. It is a great honor to be speaking about a topic which is very dear to my heart. You're doing a great service to everybody listening
0: in. Well, wow, thank you. I'm really happy to have you here, and here's why. And the reason I'm excited, to have, happy to have Sumitra here today is that she has um, a really interesting story to tell about customer satisfaction and some of the factors that lead to customer satisfaction. So for those of us who are doing lean, continuous improvement, working to help organizations become more effective, which of course means helping uh, to make their customers happier. Samitra's got some really interesting things for us to think about. So Samitra, tell us about you. You're in India. Where were you born? I was born
2: exactly where I'm at today, Mumbai. So life comes back full circle.
0: <laughs> but you've traveled a lot. So tell us about that. Tell us about your, your growing up and, and some of your career. Yes. So um,
2: it's a very long story, but I'll try to take out the most relevant lean parts. So I um, belong to a family that works for the government. Uh, There was a lot of pressure when I was doing my undergrad to write the government service entrance exam, because that was the only profession everybody was in. They believed that that's what gave you job security. That's how you serve your country, Um, call it rebellion or just the fact that I had seen so much of bureaucracy back in the day that I felt I wanted to work in a company or an organization which would be innovative, which would, uh, you know, respond fast, which would have latest technology and, and, and writing the government exam was not going to help me pursue those dreams. Uh, There's also this story of a family member who tried to refuse and had actually come back saying he couldn't find the examination hall and then he was sent the next year to write the exam. So I knew I had to come clean and say that no, I I want to pursue something different. Um, uh, However, we talked a full circle. I think the government today is doing a great job but uh, and and, and, you know, they're bringing so much of change to our country, but, that, but those days were very different. It, it, it was a very slow moving bureaucratic culture. So then I had to prepare for a management degree because that, in those days, that was the only way uh, you could work in a company. And uh, I found myself uh, studying, and then met up with the first uh, one of the big obstacles where I didn't make it to an Ivy League equivalent uh, for an MBA, and then uh, the only college that accepted me was where I had to go because I had set up this entire discussion with parents, and they were saying, like, "See, you're not going to make it anywhere because you know, at the end of the day, you need a job, and 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 this is a relatively newer college." Um, But anyway, I continued, I joined and uh, I was really fortunate Because of the location, it was located in Mumbai, where a lot of the big companies are located. So I was fortunate to do a good summer internship at a fast-moving consumer goods company. I helped with their product launch. I was absolutely certain I'd get a final placement. I was all excited. I reached the final round of the interview, and there came another obstacle where I didn't get selected. Uh, but I believe that a hurdle is a turning point. I think, uh, you know, every obstacle I think is a detour in the right direction. This is a quote straight from Gabby Bernstein. I know now when I look back, um, But um, and, and so uh, Citibank uh, came to campus and I was recruited and really grateful because that helped me pursue a lot of my dreams, like bringing the latest, being part of bringing latest technology to our country, which we did. Um, and, uh, but, but there, there were so many learnings. I had a major in marketing, you know, like sometimes we worry so much about our major. Uh, although my learnings and studies were in marketing, I joined City Bank in operations. So I had no clue. I had to learn the basics from scratch. Um, all of my marketing knowledge was like put at the back burner. And uh, so, so many things um, we had to deal with Huge volumes. I um, and it was a huge learning. So I tell you a funny story. One of the big, um, you know, one of the big concepts in banking is that two people joined together can rob a bank, but uh, if if they collaborate together, right? So that goes by the. So there's always dual. Whether you're doing a financial transaction, there are two people involved. At any space in a bank, there has to be dual occupancy. I didn't know this. I had never studied banking. So when the volumes were very huge and I had to get work done, I decided to come in very early to work one day. And I entered and there was like this huge register which you had to sign, um, which I, of course, promptly signed. And I started my work. And then later, I like uh, a little bit later, I heard like there was a lot of discussion. And then the head of the bank actually had to put, there was like an audit comment. And I, I, I really appreciate the way Citibank taught me that lesson. Uh, the boss wrote on the register, um, dedication noted since promoted. Of course I didn't get a promotion, <laughs> but I always remember that's how I learned dual occupancy. So there were so many learnings along the way and um, it, it, it was very exciting. The, for the huge volumes, there were many learnings on how to process better, how to be more uh, efficient. And so not only was there on the job training, we were also sent, um, uh, so we had our Asia Pacific Training Institute at Manila in the Philippines. And uh, I found myself suddenly on my first flight, I had never been on a flight, and so Mumbai to uh, to Manila, and uh, I really appreciate all of the learnings, and then my colleagues, they, they always make fun of me, they say, we know why you appreciate all the learnings, that's where I met my husband, and uh, he, uh, yeah, so he was on the course um, with me, and um, so a year and a half later, when uh, we were at work, and we thought of getting Married, he comes. Uh, India is a land of many languages, many cultures. I still don't speak the language that he speaks. We, you know, we have a common language, but anyway, so it was hard for him to convince his parents. For me, I, uh, my parents both speak a, two different languages, and my family is a lot more multicultural than his. Uh, but the interesting story in Citibank is again something related to banking law. The same concept of You know, you cannot have two people related doing a a particular being in a particular part of the bank. So we were really worried. Right. We said, oh, one of us is going to have to leave. And we were loving our job so much. So we told uh, before we decided to get married, we told our boss. And then um, he said, fine, we'll do something not to worry. And uh, so I reported indirectly into a boss who sat in Delhi. And uh, so this was a Bombay job. So he calls him up and he says, uh, so my husband's name is Vivek. He calls him up and he says, Vivek and Sumitra are getting married. And because it was unthinkable, he replied back to who? And that was so funny because uh, uh, it it was a paradigm shift. I mean, nobody ever, uh, at least in Citibank, in the same part of the bank had gotten married to each other. It was like from two different parts of the bank. So that was a huge adjustment. And my husband always remained in marketing and I always remained in operations and customer service. And there was a joke when we would move, like the bosses would say, oh, it's too for one, because you don't have to then search for somebody when we were doing our startup businesses in different parts of the world. People would say, oh, you already have like two positions filled up together. So yeah, uh, those were lean, uh, lean stories uh, from a more personal uh, point of view. Then, uh, um, so I think my learnings began right through, I, um as a woman, there were challenges. I, uh, we moved to uh, Kolkata, which is on the Eastern coast of India, speaks a different language. Um, and um, I was very happy because uh, there was a lot of manual processing and we were able to bring automation from what we had learned in Mumbai and bring it to our branch there. I was a branch manager everybody in the branch was older than me, every single person. So I had to earn their respect. Uh, And then they had to learn how to work on the computer. And that that was like kind of hard for them. Uh, And I found that, so again, there's a small lean story. I found a teller who was making, repeatedly making a huge amount of mistakes. So uh he would so, so the way it works in a computer is just by hitting one key, you post either a debit or a credit, which he wasn't used to. And so he was hitting a wrong key. As a result, the debit was becoming a credit. So he ended up with a difference account almost every single day. And one of the things I learned about the culture there is that people like to chat over snack in the evening. And I started sitting with them. And I heard somebody mention uh, that, oh, you know, his, cake shop, uh, because he had a bakery business, his family had, his cake shop is not doing so well, and that's playing on his mind, and the peak hours are at five o'clock, that's exactly when he is making huge mistakes, and so then it occurred to me that you need to do a root cause analysis, not only for a customer, but you also have to do it for employees as to why is he making that mistake, his mind was somewhere else closer to five o'clock, and so then, of course, we adjusted, Uh, we had the cash officer who was very experienced in a little early for him to help him understand where his mistakes were. And uh, of course, then it was all good. His business started booming, the the family bakery business, and, you know, we didn't have any difference in our account. So, and then um, we moved to South India, Chennai, where till today, I do not understand their language. We lived there for four years. Uh, However, uh, I think it was the teamwork and the work ethic of the people who live there, which made that, I think, the high point of my customer satisfaction uh, career. We won all the global team awards for customer satisfaction, the scores. Um, I won the highest honor or individual award, the city Cop chairman service excellence award only because of the people that work there. And this is without knowing their language. So they would speak to each other in Tamil which is the local language. and I would have to wait patiently and speak in English but that was an amazing team. And I learned the discipline of work from them the following of the process, measuring everything. I learned a lot. I had a lot of lean learnings uh, from them.
0: And then no, Sumitra, Sumitra, how did you start? I just I just wanted, you know, uh, just think about this moment of you the first day that you went in there and and they're speaking a language that you don't speak. It's a different culture, obviously. Um was this also a, a place where there were a lot of people who were who were older than you? Um were they? You yes. know, so- also, so, yeah. So, so, so that, how did you? How did you? How did you walk in there? How, what? What did you? What were some of the first things you did? So that's a great question, Bella,
2: because obviously there is nervousness. Here I am with just a few years experience in the bank. I worked in two cities in Mumbai and Kolkata, but never in Chennai. Uh, I had to fit in the the shoes of somebody, an older man who was transferred out. And so here I am, another woman. So that's a great question. I have to tell you this. The one thing that helped me greatly is, so there's something called unions. You know, uh, in a factory situation, you have labor unions, right? Mm -hmm. We had unions as well. And we still do have unions in our country. Apparently, the labor union in Kolkata, I don't know why, out of nowhere, rang up the union head in uh, Chennai and said, you know, there's this girl coming be nice to her and they told me this and I was so pleased I was almost in tears and I am thinking this was coming mainly from their culture of you know connecting with me sitting and having a cup of tea and so they had gotten to know me and then they kind of told the union head be nice to her and then he tells me this in English of course and that's what set me at
0: ease and then I so- would- yeah, so what you're saying is that the work that you did in Calcutta where you, and it didn't even look like work, right? But where you sat and had tea with, with people, that that actually helped you when you moved to Chennai. That that was, and you had no idea, right? But that time you spent with employees and, and not work, sort of work time, but the, the chatting, getting to know each other, that that paid off for you in a way that you never expected. That is a marvelous story.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Then I moved on to the Middle East, which was a totally different ballgame. Again, not knowing Arabic at all. A woman uh, in Saudi Arabia working in a bank with all, you know, having a different religion, completely unheard of. And, uh, I learned how uh, an organization can go out of its way to welcome somebody from uh, the bankers uh, there. They went, uh, so they have what's called a women's branch where they do have women banking officers who serve only women customers. Uh, But I didn't want to do that because 1A, I didn't speak Arabic. Uh, it would take me forever to learn. Second, I felt that it would not add to my learnings because as I, w- I had already done <laughs> branches in India and I wanted to move on and uh, I didn't wanna be there. And I'm sure the organization didn't want me there. So having to to work like in the head office was like absolutely unheard of. There were all men there. Um, I was definitely the only expatriate uh, person. So, so uh, understanding my needs, or where I want, what what I wanted to do. Okay. That understanding uh, was was a great learning for me of how an organization can adjust uh, to what an employee wants. And and the one big learning I had there was I remember in a talk show Bella once you said about like sometimes we just go and ask people how are you, but uh, the important thing is how are you really. I mm-hmm. think. It's, the talk show that you did with Karen, her little kind words talk show. Uh, I, I, I could relate to that so much because in Arabic, they have, as soon as anyone greets you, man or woman, that's the first question they ask in Arabic, they say, and people reply, Alam which means by the grace of God, I'm fine. But the one difference was, and it's very different from Mumbai, because Mumbai is like very professional. It's like New York. People don't have time. I mean, you'll be meeting the same person in the elevator every day, but you may not know their name. So anyway, to cut a long story short, they would actually stop and after you'd finished answering that they would say and they still do how is the family now when it comes to that you have to think because you will have to definitely reflect and maybe them something and they would wait at the door, listen to everything, make a comment and then get on their way. And I learned the art of listening uh, from my colleagues. Uh, Maybe it's something to do with the Arabic culture, but even today when I've made very good friends and they will always say, how's the family? So that's uh, one thing I learned from there. and then we moved. Uh, so, so there's another story from uh, from there. I had to. I was selected to um, uh, to represent the Asia Pacific division uh, to uh, be a master trainer. So I'm a certified master trainer from our global training and development um, uh, department, which is based in New York. But it was LACB, the Latin America Consumer Bank, which was hosting the event at Fort Lauderdale because that. Was the headquarters, and um, I think the ability to just have fun I learned over there because throughout the day we would have these really uh, you know important learnings. We were graded, we were certified. It was it, it was pretty intense, uh, but at night, everybody from the Latin America Consumer Bank, Argentinians, Brazilians, people from Chile, Colombia, Venezuela would clear out the dinner tables and dance on the tables. And they taught us Macarena, that dance, which I still remember some of the steps. I might be doing it all wrong, but the the time we had, the time of our life. And, And I think the learning for me was when we came back into groups in the morning, the instructor wanted everybody to give feedback to each other on how they had performed on the training because we were being certified to be trainers. And I think, That fun that we had had as a group made the feedback so genuine that even though we were graded and we were marked, so it was a scale of five, not everybody made it to the five. That genuineness came out because of the fun and because everybody knew that at night, anyway, even if you're getting a five, you're not going to get your macarena step correct. And, And it was that great camaraderie, which I think I learned from Latin America Consumer Bank. So then uh, came back and moved from a, I don't know if I'm getting the Fahrenheit correct, but from 112 degrees Fahrenheit of Riyadh, Saudi Arabia to minus 12 of Warsaw, Poland. Uh, We reached in winter, transferred to place in January, I had never, never experienced, my years used to get frozen, I'd never experienced uh, that kind of cold. But in Poland, another lean learning was efficiency. At Although it was a startup business and we were hiring people, we actually hired a branch manager from Pizza Hut. So you can imagine the amount of knowledge that had to be transmitted. Uh, but, uh, but to cut a long story short, uh, um, what I learned was, come what may, at the dot of five o'clock, they would be out on the cycling paths, cycling, doing their fitness, work-life balance, which for me was an unheard of, uh, you know, um, thing. I mean, like I'd worked so many long hours, put on so much weight, but I had learned that. Or lesson in Poland, and and the fact that you can do so many things as long as you're efficient and and you know utilize your day very well. In fact, this I think it's a very European trait because when I worked at the London office um, in UK, I had a similar experience. I was doing my work like uh, I was filling in for somebody who had to who had to travel somewhere. So um, while the work was similar to what I had done, but I, like I was doing it slowly. Um, I was going and having a cup of coffee. And then one of the colleagues came to me and said, Sumitra, you know, you, you do know, right, that if you stay after 630, you need permission from the RVP in charge of security, it'll have to be a written permission, which you need to show And I said, oh, my God, I didn't know that. And I I did that just once because I had to wrap up that day. And after that, I never tried it again. And I think it also showed not only discipline, but the care of an organization. Because on the London Underground, it can be pretty unsafe uh, for a, a single you know woman going mm-hmm. home late at night. And I think that discipline was, I think, springing from the care. And I remember that day at 6.30, the security guard actually walked with me till the door and, 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 and said, try to finish your work a little earlier tomorrow. And I said, yes, I will remember to do that. So I think it's a European thing that work-life balance um, these were lean, lean, uh, a lot of lean learnings that you know, plan your day, finish it well. Um, and um, and, and then one of the big things we did, uh, in, in Citibank was that uh, we believed strongly in success transfer, which was why we were able to move and you know, bring our uh, processes that had been successful in other parts of the world, uh, to our startup businesses. So, uh, while I was based in more so, the corporate bank. which uh, was the headquarters for, Warsaw was also the headquarters for Central and Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa. And um, they asked me to uh, help in the implementation of something we've done very successfully was the customer experience boards, which is basically, you know, something like the Kanban board where you actually display all your, you know, measurements and your achievements, Mm -hmm. all the employees can celebrate their performances and the whole process of doing that so um uh, we were on our way from. Uh, so I had a French uh, boss uh, for for that project, and it was really interesting. We were on our way uh, on one winter day from uh, Warsaw to Bucharest in Romania. and We had to transit via Vienna for that. Uh, it was it was it was bitter cold, but of course I'd gotten used to that almost, and i was like all wrapped up in woolens and everything. And then at Vienna Airport, the the, the flight the, had 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 gotten a little late taking off from Warsaw so at Vienna airport there was when we landed there was sleet on the tarmac and because people had to rush to catch their connecting flight, so did we there were people actually falling flat slipping and falling uh, on their stomachs Uh, that was a bit scary for me and my French boss was standing behind me and he goes so mitra do you know what lot stands for that's the lot polish airlines so i and you know because i had learned polish that was the only way to get by uh, but i didn't know the expanded form of lot and i'm going like seriously so i i said and he and he knew that we were all learning polish so i said no and he said just quietly, just enough for me to hear. And he said, it's land on your tummy. And <laughs> and he put me at ease. Um you know I think if I had come from a space of not understanding a uh, Frenchman, I would have thought he was trying to be, you know, mean, but he wasn't, he was just doing his best to make me feel good. Um, I had learned co- quite a bit of, of French when, when I was in college and I know that in, in the French language, it's like, uh, you know, they believe in exaggerated wordplay, right? That's, that's the French satire. And I knew that he was just doing it and I know that nobody heard it. but. I walked confidently with my shoes. I didn't slip. We did a good presentation in Romania
0: and I wasn't nervous. So um and you uh, felt so- you felt you felt that taken care of again, it was yeah, somebody who was taking care exactly, of you. Exactly, exactly. And
2: he didn't have to say that. So I want to say merci beaucoup to him. Uh, and also if you have any Polish viewers, I want to say przepraszam, in fact przepraszam Barzo, which which means I'm really sorry. We, we were not at all trying to uh, ridicule. So uh, yeah, so that was another lesson of, for me of the way he just eased things up. Um, yeah uh lesson coming in from a french senior um so yeah that that was uh and and then we to continue the success transfer story there was um e- we, we launched egypt consumer bank uh, we launched turkey i had developed an orientation program which then uh we did for um Uh, the employees, uh, there is another small story of Egypt. I think that their hospitality is like, because although it's from the African continent, but it's, it's Arabic, right? So uh, there was a lot of similarity I found with my learnings from, uh, uh, from Riyadh. So when I reached there, they told me, uh, you know, you have to go and see the pyramids. You, you, you come a day earlier, you prepare, but you must go. And of course I was excited. So mm, I went and uh, while they are coming me for the light and sound show at night in the daytime they didn't get time so I just I just went they said it'll be very safe it's a very safe country (laughs) I had a lean interesting learning on a camel ride the camel rider he taught me that when a camel uh, 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 when a camel raises himself or herself up they rise from the hind so from the back so when they do that you can fall off unless you are facing absolutely Unless you recline backwards And the reverse is true When they get up They get up then with their forelegs And so you need to bend forward So yeah, it was a lesson in uh, in camel riding And uh, yeah, and there are endless stories We can go on and on But yeah, that's
0: um, uh, so, that Yeah, here. I mean, you've, you've just had this incredible uh, career And I love the way that you're saying that Every place you went to Every city, every country Every event, you picked something up from that. you learned you learned something from that and it seems to be more and more, you know going towards this um, this idea of it's the people that really matter, right? And it's the employees that really matter and, and so you, you learned about efficiency, you learned about effectiveness, you learned about about uh, networking, right you know just you know having tea with somebody, in one city may result in a great introduction in, a, in another city. How does this all come together? All of, all of your experience, how does it come together to create customer satisfaction? What, what are some of the keys you see through all of this towards creating that customer satisfaction that drives the success of an organization?
2: So I'll take you through uh, basically what I believe is a step-by-step process uh, to do uh, what I believe is one of the best ways uh, to achieve this customer satisfaction piece. So let me begin at the very beginning. For years, we've heard that the customer is the king. I believe what if we throw uh, this proclamation on its head and say that it's the employee who is the king. It is the employee who uh, lays out a red carpet to give a royal treatment to the customer. Uh, Richard Branson says clients do not come first, employees come first. You take care of employees, they will take care of clients. Uh, I feel instead of headcount, let's not look at it that way. Let's either look at it as a human count, or as Simon Sinek says, a heart count. When we do that, we are much, much closer and faster in achieving uh, what we want. So at the, ve- so if this is our overarching belief, from here, an organization sets the stage. And to me, that's basically the vision, the mission, and the values of an organization. Every organization has that, that's a no brainer. But. But if, if, if we have to really do it right the first time, which many uh, organizations want to, then I would just give, uh, if you allow me, I will share some secrets of success. You can call them golden nuggets or you can call them untapped opportunities. So the first one is to make the vision employee focused. So you will tell me, so how does one do that? Let me just give you a small example Amazon says that they want to be the most customer-centric company in the world. Recently during the pandemic, uh, there was a huge reliance on uh, home delivery, right? Because stores were closed. So they had a surge in volumes. Their profits went up three times. They had to hire people off the street. Anybody was getting employed. Uh, But also there were people falling sick with the pandemic. And they have an automated system for dealing with their employees. This is actually referenced in a New York Times article. so uh, they have an automated HR system, which uh, which deals with employees. Employees were trying to call in sick, but apparently those calls didn't get registered. As a result, they got abandonment notices and they were actually getting fired. Um, I think Jeff Bezos figured this all out. And recently he made a statement that uh, we have always wanted to be a customer centric company, but we now need to see how we can be the best employer and how can we define values so that our employees are feeling good. So the number one uh, success, uh, golden nugget or secret is that it's okay to rethink our vision. Visions are not something that are, hard cut in stone that's the number one the second one i believe is something which i i read uh from uh toyota i mean you know they are the pioneers of lean and that is basically the fifth precept uh in toyota is that we need to be aware of spiritual matters and always be grateful the Lai Lama says whenever possible be kind it's always possible to be kind when we are grateful we kind of show respect. Um, it, uh, so the teachings of Sakichi Toyota, of course, are known to so many of all the viewers, but they, they actually say that with a smile, we will be grateful and we will appreciate. So I think if we, and and I say this all the time to companies, I say, if we can bring this concept into right up front into our values, then everything flows through. So so that's the second. And uh, I want to share so that's
0: a, so that's the gratitude then the idea of yes
2: yes and I won uh, And and the main thing here in values is how does an organization communicate its values? So I want to share a small example. When we lived in uh, Taipei, my son was born there and uh, uh, the hospital was Taiwan Adventist Hospital. And the the doctor, Dr. Su, I was like, of course, so nervous, again, being the only foreigner there and everything you can imagine. Then uh, Dr. Su uh, comes and she says, Sumitra, is it okay if I say a prayer? Now, I, I was just so uh, blown away by her, you know, her, her generosity. And I was so touched. And I said, sure, I didn't know enough Mandarin. I had taken only 12 lessons. So, of course, I didn't know. And she told me, she said, you can say your prayer in your language. <laughs> and so we were both saying prayers. Um, that of course, she checked with me. I mean, I could have been an atheist and <laughs> I could have said no. So the way, and I think Dr. Su that day communicated the values of her organization not only to all so there were nurses lined up in the room who also bowed down in prayer so communicating of the values is not only that something that we put up on our vision board it's what we do every day it's what we live every day Taiwan Adventist Hospital by by the name itself uh, you know it's a Seventh-day Adventist right they are a they are a sect of um, Protestant Christianity I think and they they have a lot of values, but by saying that prayer, um, the the head of the Obigani department was actually communicating values to the to the employees, and actually, sure. I mean, I'm the customer, right? <laughs> and I'm receiving the benefit of those values. So, how an organization communicates its values? So that's what I'll say for setting the stage. Once that is set, then I want the viewers. Uh, to imagine three concentric circles. And if we draw three concentric circles intersecting each other, one is voice of customer, the second is voice of process, and the third is voice of employee, at the intersection point of all of the three is where we get a highly satisfied customer, the customer who is loyal. And these three, voice of customer, so I've, I've made a model called AAA, not from the fact, financial services world of the Crystal Ratings, but achieve, align, and awaken. So achieve is the customer satisfaction goals, align is the processes, and awaken is awakening the employee potential. So the first part in achieving uh, any goal is you need to understand what the customer wants. Uh, For years, we have been doing customer satisfaction surveys, and Gallup is the market leader. I have a lot of respect for the organization. There were presentations that they made, huge learnings that we had, but somewhere I felt there was like something missing because we would very often be left with huge volumes of data and, and the actionable sometimes were lost in uh, detail. A lean, a cheaper, a faster way is to ask the employee. They have a wealth of data. They know everything. The one thing, though, in getting the information from them is that uh, if they have to say it in front of somebody, it requires creating a culture of trust where they know psychologically are they safe to say it. So there's a tool uh, which I use where they can actually transmit that data without anybody else knowing, and the data would be almost as good as getting it from a customer. It's definitely cheaper, it's faster. You know, in today's world, I get so many surveys from companies and if I don't have time, I don't fill it up, right? So you have the issue of response rates. In, in today's world, how many face-to-face interviews can you do so you're dependent on mail? and uh, But so this is lean in the sense that there's a wealth of data from people who know a lot and that can be collected. And then uh, as long as they are assured that no one will know which particular employee said what. And then that can actually be used to go and change uh, processes, go and provide solutions which comes to the second part of a line. But before we even go there, uh, one strong thing that's coming out in voice of the customer is the communication piece. This is coming across very strongly in my work where employees are saying, that it's it's a mirror. We are not communicating our programs well enough to customers, and their bosses are not communicating expectations back to employees. So uh, I think it's always good to learn from best in class. I think there is no organization that does it better than uh, Disney. Bella, tell me, you you are a grand grandmother. You you must have experienced the Jungle Cruise. Uh, the the ride in Disney where they take you through the jungle and yes yes that that script uh, so that script is actually there is improvisations but it's it's, it's built by employees. It's taught from one employee to the other. We actually used this idea and we we scripted a lot of our interactions with customers, translated them uh, into different languages in the different countries where I worked. What this does is it's lean because it eliminates the possibilities of mistakes. So for example, in loan applications, we found there were lots of mistakes because customers uh would not know what's the interest rate charged what's the emi what documentations are needed they would end up visiting the branch multiple times when we scripted what was to be told it's something like a checklist now so you have a checklist and you Tick mark, but this was like a verbal communication and and de- disney has no peer i i believe in this um and they are like the gurus even in the way you communicate values to uh, your employees so customer script is a big one and tying back the voice of customer in voice of customer i feel um There are broadly two or three goals, uh, which we need to arrive at after we understand what the customer wants. If we repeatedly track these goals, there is nothing stopping an organization from being the best And that. So the first one is of course, your overall satisfaction score, which you can track. Second is your problem incidence rate, which is basically how many problems are you having every day? Uh, It's something like your defect rate. And the third is once you have a problem, how well are you solving it? So that's the problem resolution rate. And I think the gratitude comes back in here again because we also should be grateful when a customer complains because we all know that those who don't complain can walk with their feet. They can just walk to competition. Worse still, they can bad mouth. So they can tell Ten people of, of, of a problem uh, so if they come and they complain we should welcome them Taco Bell does a great great job of saying you know we're sorry we messed up and here is and so then they give they gift uh, an, a free taco for some problem uh, and then they recover yes. from that problem so I love that so gratitude can be even to customers so that's the voice of customer piece um, I know I'm talking a lot but I'll go quickly then to the align piece, which is we have all this wealth of information of the problem, and so then we come to the align, which is aligning the processes. I think your lean experts can write pages and pages on how you can improve a process, so I won't go into too much of depth on that. Of course, cross-functional teams, tracking how we do, but the one thing I picked up um, which I liked very much when Dan Pink spoke about the FedEx days, which was actually um, then had to be called or shipping days, which is basically Atlassian, the company specifically would lay aside a time for innovation and it was called FedEx days or shipping days because on Friday they would have to present uh, what were their ideas and their plans and if they got implemented uh, towards a new product. And so that's the aligned part. And then that brings me to the big one, which is voice of employee, where I call it the awakened potential. I want to share a small example to understand the whole gamut of employee engagement. Southwest Airlines did a lovely lovely, lovely project involving. Uh, So they put out, uh, so the basic problem was their uniforms were outdated. And this is a case study actually. And uh, you know, uh, they didn't go to a fashion designer. What they did is to just ask the employees and 43 employees Actually, it was much more, but 43 employees finally became a team. And they worked for, I think, almost a year and a half, uh, meeting once in every two weeks, and they came up with a functional, uh, you know, really functional, machine washable, uh, really interesting uniform, which they like, they save time because they didn't have to spend so much time laundering it. They felt good wearing it. And I think that when we gather employees, and who would think that you can turn your employees into designers, but if we just take the risk and give them that job. So For voice of employee, I want to say that there's two parts to it. So of course, there's the part that the organization can do, the culture part, the the psychological safety. But to me, the big game changer is the individual himself or herself. I wish I knew this when I, back in the day, my big learning is that it's about self-development. It's about self-awareness. It's about wanting to get up in the morning before even the alarm rings. It's about finding a purpose in life. Uh, It's about serving others. Uh, It's about a mission. It's about a goal, a mission larger than life. It is about what do you want to feel good about? And And through all of my learnings, I've come to this conclusion that this is a practice. You can follow any practice you want. So for me, I can share it. I have a morning routine where I get up, I do my physical exercise, I see my prayers. I have a gratitude journal where I write down like five uh, points of gratitude uh, every day. Then it's followed by a victory log where I write down what I have achieved the day before, what my goals are for the day. Uh, today, actually, you feature in my uh, gratitude journal where I actually, at point number three, I, I write that I am thankful and grateful. Oh, and I also learned that you when you write gratitude, it's very important to write the because, because then you're reflecting. Because. So so my my point for my uh, point number three for today was that I am thankful and grateful I am on Bella's uh, podcast because uh, she has a passion for continuous improvement and through her platform I hope I can learn and uh, fulfill some part of my ikigai. So that's uh, w- what I wrote. So so gratitude, it, it is a practice. So uh, Tony Robbins has a very nice exercise called priming, where he packages a little bit of exercise, breath of fire, visualization gratitude. So, so my message is do anything, follow any faith, but have a practice to be self-aware. Meditation for me has it's like accepting your own friend request. I feel when I sit silently in that space, uh I have I release resistance. I have so many realizations. I have the intuition uh to get up and you know do something. So that's the morning practice. Um And that I believe an individual who comes to work needs to come with that to work otherwise no amount of culture or psychological safety that the organization is trying to do, there's going to be a mismatch. So, so that's my uh, that's my theory for uh, for the uh, for the human uh, part of the voice of employee and 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 the gratitude part. There's a business case for gratitude, and and I'll spend a little bit of time on that. There's a book, um, Leading with Gratitude, by Gustik and Elton, where they say there's a gratitude gap. organized. Uh, organizations. Some, some leaders feel that, uh, that it will be misinterpreted. Some leaders feel that it's a sign of weakness. The American Express CEO, Ken Chanel, I think is his name, where he says doesn't have to be a sign of weakness. As long as its gratitude is expressed in an authentic and timely manner, you can still be very demanding at work. There is a research which says that uh, out of 2,000 Americans uh, that, were, that were assessed, only 10% said that they express gratitude. 35% said that if you express gratitude, you are vulnerable, which means that people can take advantage of you. So there's clearly a gap and it needs to be done. Um, And and, and I think it ends up creating that when we express gratitude, we create that culture of trust. We can bring about change. Uh, One way to express gratitude is appreciation. And and uh, there is a Greater Good Science Center, which is run by UC Berkeley and along with the John Templeton Foundation, a leadership expert, Mike Robbins, actually makes the point that gr- appreciation is Different from recognition. Many leaders confuse the two and they say, you know, if I express appreciation and the person is not doing a great job, it will be misunderstood. Recognition is for performance where you reward them with a bonus or or you say you did a great job, you get the certificate. Appreciation can be even if you failed, even if you've made a mistake, because appreciation is about you as a human being, your work ethic, your hard work. Nobody comes to work not wanting to do a good job. Everybody's intention is to go and do a good job. But yeah, maybe he's sick. Maybe his wife filed for a divorce. Maybe the 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 child was playing up at home, and so he could be making he or she could be making a mistake. So there's that distinction between appreciation and and um, and gratitude. And I want to steal an example from Simon Sinek in in this whole thing of an employee where he went to a, a Four Seasons Hotel, and there's a barista by the name of Noah who does a great job of serving an Uh, the coffee and he also gave him a tip and so he asked him because he was doing a great job he said do you Mm -hmm. love your job and he says I love my job and he said why and he says because throughout the day managers at Four Seasons come and ask me how am I doing and then Simon makes the point that it's not about just the fancy decor or the clean sheets it's about you know checking in and the same barista said to Simon that he also worked at Caesar's Palace where he goes and he works and he's really scared and he puts his head down and he's just out there doing the work because there they were fearing their leaders. So the whole uh, atmosphere of appreciation makes for the employee difference. The same employee can be in a culture of appreciation getting you your customer satisfaction scores or in a culture of fear getting you the worst customer satisfaction. So that's the the voice of employee piece um, which I feel is is a very important part of this
0: whole mission. So you've taken us through every you know everything from from starting with the voice of the customer right back to the voice of the employee. I mean it's an amaz- it's an amazing path to follow. And I think you've given us a lot to think about, a lot lot of things to try, a lot of, of experiments to do. I'd just like to ask you to wrap up. What's your one piece of advice for a young person starting out in their career? That's an excellent question, Bella. I feel like today in a day and
2: age where everybody has to constantly reinvent themselves, which today's youngsters are doing and because of them, so are we. I think the one important thing is to have fun because when you have fun, you raise your energy. And when you raise your energy, you attract a lot of good things. Uh, But going a little deep. To me, that fun uh, starts from understanding that there will always be hurdles and every hurdle is a turning point for something good. In that faith, go out and have your fun and have a practice to be the best, most authentic person pursuing your dreams.
0: Thank you so much, Sumitra. It's been so much fun having you here and we've learned a lot from you.
2: Thank you so much, Bella, for having me. I've learned
1: a lot from you. This is Bella Engelberg, and I'd like to thank Sumitra Vig for being my guest on the edges of Lean. How are you connecting employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction? We'd love to hear from you. Find Sumitra on LinkedIn and start a conversation. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the lean communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The edges of lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbeck. This is a lean for humans production.